0: What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the bi-weekly insurgent podcast for queer women of color. I am Money, the snowed-in sapphic snack. Oh, <laughs>
1: I like that. Ours are going to be close this week mm. because I am Nikita, the city-slickin' sapphic fantasy. Oh, my
0: gosh. <laughs> Let's go to New York City one time <laughs> <laughs> I so mm-hmm. hey. 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 Hey.
1: Hey. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses I see your glow from a distance Your vibe incite my submission I give you all of me Wanna make you proud of me We see the God in all you do Your light is harmony I hope you hear
0: that on the Day baby. You love. I love you. Baby, you love. All right, Nikita, where can the folks find us? I am so glad that you asked
1: because they can find us on Instagram at Queer Pod. That's also our handle on Twitter. I'll say it again. At Queer Rock Pod. You can also find us on Facebook, QueerWalk, Colon, the podcast. You can even find us on Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. And maybe. You want to send us something a little bit more personal, something a little bit more private, okay. you know, something a little bit longer in length, okay. <laughs> you can shoot that right onto our Gmail, which is QueerRockPod at gmail.com. And wherever you're listening, especially on social media, be sure to use the hashtag, hashtag QueerWOC. And where can they listen? They can listen to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher,
0: and Apple Podcasts. Yes. All the places you get your podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Money. Mm-hmm.
1: You and I are the hosts of this program. Yes, we right? are. The community cultivators, if you will. The community cultivators? Yes. Curators?
0: Yeah. There we go.
1: Oh, sorry, I was trying to think of more scenes and I didn't have any. <laughs>
0: anyway, Leave the
1: alliteration to I'll, me. All right. All right, co-host. <laughs> but, so you and I are the co-hosts of this mm-hmm. show, but it takes a community to make this show
0: thrive. So, how can people true. contribute to this here program? I am so glad you asked. So, folks, y'all can contribute in two very important ways. Both are equally as important. The first way is financially. You can become a sustainer of this here program by heading on over to patreon.com/slash queer walk There we have some suggestions for levels or amounts that you can give us but no amount is too big or too small you know we really want to get one of those pop and shake proof microphones yeah you know so our you know audio can be crisp crisp um yeah so in order to help us out with that go ahead over patreon.com slash queer pod you can also contribute to our cash app which is dollar sign is that how y'all say it dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D, again. Um, and there, there's no commitment there where Patreon is monthly. The cash app is, you know, just one time. Just make sure y'all get it right. I'm hoping there's not too many Queer Walk Pods or cash apps. Yeah. So <laughs> All right. So that's the first way, financially, that you can contribute. The second way to contribute to Queer Walk, the podcast, is what I'm going to call the R's. Rate, review, request, repost, retweet, and reply. Oh, shit. <laughs> I just tried to think of all the things and they just happened to that be alliterative. Nice. Yes. So leaving those ratings, um, leaving those reviews, requesting us to do topics, um, sending your Curve Chronicles over, whether it's via the DM or the email, reposting the episode so new folks know about Queer Walk. You know, we we out. We don't want to be no dirty little secret. Retweet us, uh, and reply when we're in when we're asking stuff and posting all the things. Yeah. Hit us up. That was nice. Just as important as the money. Yeah. So if you if you don't have two dollars to throw off on the financial front, you could take two seconds to repost.
1: And also remember, we have our amazing locally made T shirts. Oh yes. So we have our wonderful t-shirts that come in black or yellow. You queer can, walk yellow. Excuse me, queer walk yellow. <laughs> and they say mental moment with money, which is one of our favorite segments here on the show. And also glucose guardian. We are living in hard financial times. And you need to let people know that you are looking for a whatever gender or non-gender specific sugar pan.
0: <laughs> Pretty
1: much. So anyway, you can cop those shirts. Again, shoot us $25 at the Cash App, dollar sign, Queer Pod $25. And if you are a patron, then you don't have to worry about shipping. But if you're not yet a patron... That extra
0: cost is four ninety nine. Yeah. So yeah, get them T shirts, y'all, so we can get other merch. Like when we move this product, yeah. we can get some new. Why products. are you talking like that? <laughs> <laughs> Just I want to let everyone know we are still talking about T shirts.
1: <laughs> I don't know what other kind of products money is moving, but that is no, has no affiliation <laughs>
0: with the show. Also, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprisings and Rebellions, um, which births our pride celebrations every year. And if you or someone you know is looking for pride speakers, um, pride-ass bitches to come do some celebrating of the Stonewall Uprisings... Invite us. Yeah, we are looking to get flued out or trund out, out which is which is the trained version.
1: And um, after our harrowing episode on the Greyhound, we're not that excited about
0: being bussed out. We we will we but, will not be busted out. <laughs> just, that's just that's we have to have some standards. Leave the leave the bussing to Tatiana. If we can't drive. Or train or fly, then we just ain't going. I'd rather I'd rather be walked out. <laughs> Y'all, the seats moved. <laughs> we went to sit down on the Greyhound and the chairs actually moved. They slid back like they... a whole foot. <laughs> Nevertheless, how however we would have to get there, we would love to make it to your events. So hit us up at QueerWalkPod at gmail dot com if you would like for money and Nikita. To, um, you know, come slide on through the Stonewall celebrations. Ooh. All right, Nikita, you wanna move it on along to the queer rock, queer rock, queer rock of, of the, the week. week? You always drag week and it throws off the it synchronicity. It does not. It, it does. does not.
1: The, anyway. It throws
0: off the what? The synchronicity? <laughs> Shut your
1: PhD, have an ass up. <laughs> Goddamn synchronicity. We
0: just want it to sound like the, all right, all right, all right. You know, like the bouncy. Uh, well, so okay. You, so you can't be like, of the week. I feel like it's like alluring. It's enticing. <sighs> you so always trying to make something moist. All right. Wow. Well. So who's the Querox of the week this week, Nikita?
1: Okay, so as I said in the intro, I was a city slicking sapphic fantasy this week. So I went to visit one of our good homies in the city, and we went to a burlesque show. And so I've never been to a burlesque show, it's, which is kind of bizarre because I feel like I have a number of friends who do burlesque, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so it's a it's more of a group than. Uh, a Why set you not introduce
0: of, me to none of these burlesque doing friends? I'll I'll be
1: sure to do that off air. <laughs> Anyways, so we went to a brass burlesque show, and brass is like a cute sort of acronym for Brown Radical Ass. Okay. So it's like Brown Radical Ass Burlesque. So, I mean, first and foremost, the show was just, it was so good. And so I just want to read a little bit about um, who they are. And because it, it wasn't just burlesque, which is like a general kind of show around like celebrating different kind of bodies and they're celebrating the body. But it was like very political and I mm-hmm. really appreciated that. And so Brown Radical Asked Burlesque, I'll put a link to their website um, in the show notes, but I just want to read this. So it's, it's a multidisciplinary performance troupe from the city, New York City, and they use unique perspectives as films of color as a lens to the myriad of issues that people face within society. Through celebrations of our politicized bodies, we are making politics sexy and empowering audiences to value their own stories and use their creativity towards collective action. We encourage a disruption of the passive consumption of art and use performance to reimagine society. Oh, wow. And they, like, this is such a wonderful description of what they do because this is exactly what I saw, Mm -hmm. like, on stage. So, because it was February, it was really wonderful because the. The host of the show, Miss Aurora Boob that that was her, that was her name. Um, so, <laughs> so she was just describing, uh, talking about how. So it's a it's a troupe of again films of color, but they were like it's Black History Month. So would the non Black POCs be okay with like the Black the Black performers in the troupe specifically? solely putting on a performance mm. for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And so the whole theme of it was like it was like Afrofuturist, like Black History through oh, through like a burlesque it's show. Burlesque. Yeah. <laughs> And so they had this amazing fire ass DJ and the performances were just breathtaking because again I've never been to like a burlesque show I feel like I've heard about them and I know again it's about like celebrating bodies I think I was a little concerned because sometimes I feel like there's a tendency to be like really like beat people over the head with the message or like mm-hmm. just to be like very didactic with mm-hmm. like you know with politics in mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. an art performance Yeah. but I did feel like they were beating like, like over this the is head. political right it's like yeah. I am making a statement yeah. but I, mean, I mean of course they were doing that and there's nothing like inherently wrong with that they were just such superb performers Mm. you know what i mean and it was like what was happening on the stage what were you seeing what was so there's so the first performer Oh, I wish I could remember um, their name. But it was, like, just, like, this adorable black femme, uh, like, shaved head. And they were wearing, like, this, like, silver leotard. And so they do, like, this. And so they're, like, dancing and performing Mm -hmm, on stage. mm -hmm. But then they're, like, maneuvering through the crowd. The only way I know how to describe it is... I feel like they're, like, seductively going up to, like, members in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, because it's like they were very clear from the beginning that it's, like, you know, these people are putting on a show. They're performing. This is labor. Mm-hmm. Tip them. Yeah, And mm-hmm. so we made sure, like, people in the audience made sure to tip them. And it was mm-hmm. just, like, it was so engaging. Like, they just had such a command of the room. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about after is, like, there's such a devaluation of, like, particular kinds of work that mm-hmm. are like erotic and you know mm-hmm. everybody thinks that they, oh it's just easy just shaking your ass i'm like no no it is not easy like like the command <laughs> yeah, of the room and right. like they yeah. had they had such like control of mm-hmm. their bodies some mm-hmm. of that shit that they were doing if i would have done that i would have hurt myself
0: <laughs> yeah i mean yes
1: and I it's like in all and i don't know mm-hmm. it's like i just was really like in awe and just like really appreciative of like, like it's work Again, I I was just like really mesmerized by wow. like how good it was. It was, mm-hmm. it was just so striking, so beautiful. There was a co- comedian there. It was like um it's like an older black woman and it's like I know that it was like an explicitly political space, but I'm just never sure with comedy. You mm-hmm. just know it's either just going to be not good yeah. or it's just going to be offensive. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could remember her name, but she was so fucking funny. It was she was just like so good. And she was just, yeah. and so she was talking about things that were like pushing the envelope, like interracial sex, but like mm-hmm. she wasn't doing it in some like cheap sort of tawdry yeah. Yeah, or yeah. going for the easy mm-hmm. jokes. But mm-hmm. it was really like the way that she did her humor; it really was like celebrating and affirming like black people in pleasure. Mm-hmm. It was it was just it was so sharp, wow. just so witty. And um, there was a DJ there, and then at the end it broke out into. You know, something that I was right in my, um, I was so in my element because the DJ was doing a mix of like all the best 80s jams with (laughs) like what the best. Of, like, the new jam, so like playing Cardi and other hip new people who I'm sure I don't know, <laughs> but just playing like all the shit that I love, just playing like house, disco. I mean, it was just a totally phenomenal experience. So, if you're ever in the city and you should, if, if there's an opportunity for you to see brass burlesque, um, you should definitely go definitely see yes. them. Oh, I wanted to say the thing about the compost bin, so there's a part of the show where they brought up, um, oh, my God, one of the performers. So this was one of the non-black performers. There was two of them uh, on stage during, um, it's like a little little break, where they brought up an actual compost bin. They were telling this hilarious story how they brought the compost bin in an Uber, and it smelled kind of bad. And they're like, sorry, Uber driver, don't worry about it. This is fine. Just let me bring this in here. (laughs) And they did like... um, They had these little scraps of paper where you had to write down something that you wanted to, like, recycle or, like, toss away Mm -hmm. in the new year. So everybody just started shouting out all different kinds of things. Like, um, one of our friends that I went with was, like, you know, I want to, like, try to, like, reform, transform, recycle anger. Everybody was just, like, shouting. I don't know. It was just, like, a very, Mm -hmm. like, collective Mm -hmm. communal Mm -hmm. experience. So, it, it, I just really can't say enough about how stellar that um, the whole troupe was and the whole performance was. But I don't know if anyone's going to be around in New York City on March 21st. Again, I'll post a link to their website and you can see, but they're doing another show, another compost bin show on March 21st in New York City. So if you're there, you should um, you should definitely see them. And if you go on their homepage, there's a way where you can donate to the work that they're doing. And it, I just don't have any, I don't have a bad thing to say about this group. It was just so phenomenal. And I'm glad that that was like my inaugural experience, my initiation, introduction
0: to Burlesque. To burlesque, yeah. Mm. This is amazing. I can't wait to go to a show. Yeah. Definitely got to make one. Shout out to Brask Burlesque. Ooh. Now we're going to move it on along to our community contributor segment. And this is the segment where we highlight all the folks who help us make this podcast possible. Yeah. And so... I'm going to go into the jingle that I created. Oh, we need them dollars. I like it like that. Become a patron tomorrow. I like it like that. Get a shout out on Queer Walk. I like it like that. Community, yeah, it been hot. I like it like that. All right. So, the first shout out that I would like to do in the community contributors segment. All of y'all who thought that we didn't know who chow. Yeah. Like... Have you listened to how black we are? Like, we know how to pronounce ch- "woo cha. So, let me... So, people didn't see what we were reading. Okay. So, what, what are we talking about? Okay. On the last episode... So, one of our listeners left yes. a review. Yeah. And they said, "woo
1: chile, chile C-H-I-L-L-A-Y. C-H-I-L-L-A-Y. <laughs> and we were like, what the fuck is that? Now, of course, <laughs> even my late ass knows... The Nini Leaks meme, right? So yeah. So we, we both knew that. Yeah. But our listener informed us because a lot of people, a few people message us and we're like, yeah, I don't know
0: Wu Chow. It's pronounced Wu Chow. As so if we know that. We, obviously. We know that. <laughs> I have a black grandmama. <laughs> I know Wu Chow. And I'm,
1: I've am i been 50 since I was like 10, so come on. But anyway, the listener Thank you for this update cuz we I didn't know but apparently there was like a viral video of some white girls who were saying woo chile because they didn't. They know. They didn't know Chow, and so th- the listener was riffing off of that meme of that viral video of the white, white girls mispronouncing okay. woo Chow.
0: I have never seen this. I video. didn't. I have not seen that. Yeah. So I just, just for the record. Yeah. Because I've seen this a lot of places, like this spelling. C-H-I-R. Yeah. And I didn't know what it and I'm was like. About. I have no idea where where did this come from. Yeah. I thought it was like an office thing. Like it was going to end up being from the office. Or something. So, I'm glad it was just a viral video that I missed. Anyway. So, yeah. Shout out to everybody who hit us up. Talking about it's Wu Chow. Apparently, y'all haven't seen the viral video either. So. <laughs> so, it, the listener was Aviva. So Oh. So, thank you for. For updating us. For updating us, us. That, right. that info. <sighs> yeah, y'all really tried it, didn't they? They we, really Wu did. Wu Chow. Okay. Can I give another shout out? Yes, you can. A real shout out this time. Like okay. a celebratory. <laughs> to Marietta, Georgia. Yeah. They were they were our top 2 city, our second city yeah. this, since the last episode. So, I don't know, like, what shifted or happened, Yeah, but I don't know what's going on down there, but we're happy it's happening. What I like is that there's obviously community. So, somebody yeah, heard the podcast. Yeah, and then they and shared, shared it yeah, in their community. That's exactly Because y'all it. became the number two city. That was yeah. quick. That was really quick. That's fun. Knocked Chicago down. Why are you trying to start <laughs> beefing Chicago? I really need to stop beefing with Chicago, because next thing you know, and I'll just... <laughs> and I'll be like... <laughs> And you know Chicago is already in the hot seat with all this Jesse stuff happening. So we need to give them a break, all right? Okay, we love y'all Chicago. I know y'all have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Maybe you couldn't get to Queer Walk this week. That's Yeah, they, I'm, they, their plates are full this week. All righty. So you want to read the message on SoundCloud that we received? I do. So we
1: got a message from Howie. And Howie says... I just wanted to say that I recently discovered your brilliant and hilarious podcast, and I love it. And then I discovered that y'all live in Syracuse. Hashtag casting and cues. (laughs) What? (laughs) I just moved here at the end of last semester, and I'm searching for rad queer community. So anyway, thank you for your words, which are keeping me company on my snowy walks to and from school. And I hope that our paths cross soon. Your fan,
0: Howie. Well, since there's only nine queer people in the whole city, I'm sure we'll cross paths. If we haven't already, I'm sure I probably saw you out in public somewhere. We probably definitely been in the same spaces. Yeah, Um, it ain't this city ain't but a minute big. Yeah, so especially when you're queer. So, hi, Howie. Yeah, I'm glad we can accompany you on those snowy walks because we know how it is. Uh, Yeah, we know. And welcome. And sorry. Sorry, Sorry. you're here. So, we got a new review. Why are you just steamrolling me. Lesbian Forever? I feel like this, I should read this.
1: Oh, because uh, I'm not a lesbian?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Read the little review. Five star review from Lesbian Forever over on the Apple app. Lesbian Forever writes Episode 59 gave me life after a tough week. I loved every segment. I still need to catch up on older episodes, but I'm on it. It's so refreshing to listen to a podcast with queer women of color. I forgot how much energy I use hanging or working with non-queer women of color. I enjoy the fact that when they laugh, I'm belly laughing with them. It can be annoying with other podcasts that just laugh at inside jokes or things happening in person.
1: Well, that's the purpose (laughs) of our
0: community. We want you to feel a part. This isn't a country club. Thank you, Lesbian Forever. I too am lesbian forever. Uh and just a little side note shout out. We see y'all coming through with the five star reviews Yeah. Uh, because we got like six new yeah. uh, star ratings. Yeah. So so Kamada's hating ass can stay out our reviews <laughs> with that one star. <laughs> okay, this is why I did the um the Apple reviews cuz I know you want to read the update. Okay. So we
1: have the best update. Yeah. So, if you all don't remember, just go ahead and put it, just put it, put the episode aside and go back to episode 51. Mm-hmm. We got a letter from somebody who we Nicknamed dubbed Cali Torres. Torres because money was in that weird grades anatomy uh, binge, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and so they were having an issue because they were, they were at Gaby mm-hmm. dealing with, you
0: know, dealing with uh, queer sex, mm-hmm. which seems to be a running theme. It is. The I, I love- how 2019 y'all been like so give us the give us the sex tip. yeah so <laughs> callie
1: torres was really nervous mm-hmm. and now they they gave us a really a hilarious and wonderful update
0: okay so again that was on episode 51 the first the first letter we got from callie torres so if you want to check that out it's episode 51, episode 51 the i think we did it for the topic that episode yeah callie says Callie Torres here. I just wanted to drop y'all
1: a quick line and give you an update. Off top, y'all were absolutely right. Communication was slash is the key. I just needed to be honest and tell my partner slash partners where I I was. I I like how everybody fucking fucked me. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) and that I just needed to be honest and tell my partner slash partners where I was and that I was nervous. And they were very understanding and still with it. Now the kid is (laughs) A-OK. I am an evangelical in these streets asking people if they've heard the good word about sleeping with women slash femme-identified folks. just doing my part extolling the virtues of sapphic sex who talks like this? I love this person you know, I, you know I love this we, you know who talks like this? Us <laughs> but there's more listen since writing y'all I think I've moved up into my queer adolescence I've been led on by a straightish girl oh. did fuckboy things managed to have a girlfriend broke up with said girlfriend <laughs> and now I've been blessed by the good lord with an E a uh, friends with benefits situation. With a very seasoned lesbian, <laughs> and this next part, it, like and this it. next part is in all caps. <laughs> and oh my God, have y'all heard the good word about sleeping with women? <laughs> my next step will be to start stretching more and to get my yoga game up <laughs> because, whoo, Chile! Now we get the rest. Okay, woo, Chile! Marathon lesbian sex is really a real thing. Yes, thank you both for the show and your advice. It really helped me, and now I'm a problem in these streets. Thanks again, Kathy.
0: Wow. And there's also all kind of emojis. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh my god, wow. that is. <laughs> Let on by a straight girl. You did all you the did class- all of it. But- yeah, I'm just laughing because of the time. The time frame. Because we got it's this a- letter in September. <laughs> Somebody has been very bu- busy, Kelly. But, Nikita, you know it's such a lesbian time frame. Yeah, like all, all of the, the crush on the straight girl and the like, getting a girlfriend was probably happening within like two weeks. That, of that probably track. happened with that probably happened on a lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Kelly, I am so excited for you. Yeah, like this update. Nikita was so excited.
1: I text money like yeah. immediately. I died. This was so wonderful. I'm so glad that you were doing your part spreading the good word. <laughs> yeah. In all forms, it sounds like. <laughs> and it, we're just so happy to have you in the leadership of uh the Queer Walk Evangelical Movement. Hashtag gay agenda. <laughs> This this just brought so much joy <laughs> We're in. here, we're queer, recruiting without fear. <laughs> yes. That is exactly what's happening. Oh, my gosh. Holy shit. I'm glad that in some small way, Queer Walk was able to be a part Help. of this.
0: Yeah. I feel like, oh, we we were part of your, like, lesbian coming of age. Yeah. It's like it, was yeah. Like, yeah. it was like a crash course Queer Walk phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, this is so funny. I love this. Well, this um, made me so
1: happy. Just be sure to send us an invitation to the wedding because I'm sure that will (laughs) be...
0: It's going to be coming soon.
1: (laughs) What are we in February? Yeah, we'll probably... We'll get the invitation about two weeks from now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for sharing. Love y'all so much. That That was wonderful. That was a real treat.
0: So, uh, the next email comes from Dunye, as in Cheryl Dunye. The letter reads... Hi, Money and Nikita. I am Dunye, a queer black woman from Arkansas attending college at a private PWI in Southern California. It has been such a struggle attending this institution and navigating all of my identities that I didn't even really understand until I came here. I just want to say thank you so much for your podcast. I've had a very rough start to my second semester of my third year, and listening to Queer Walk has been validating and has helped me feel less alone in this lonely, stifling place. Oh, we're glad we could help you feel Absolutely. less alone. Uh, I also have a realization recently that I want to become an art therapist, so I'm interested in knowing more about your journey money to become a therapist and a healer. I am a math major, so I'm trying to figure out what my next steps should be to pursue therapy As a career. Love and appreciation. Dunye?
1: Dunye.
0: All right, Dunye. Well, I'm so excited to have read this email because I, too, was a math major who became a therapist. So, a little bit more about how I did that. So, (laughs) I went to college on a physics scholarship. But at my university, it was like all science and math majors were, uh, like, housed together. So, essentially, even though I had a physics scholarship, I just had to remain a co-sam scholar in order to keep my scholarship um college of science and math co-sam shout out to auburn um and so that's what i did on paper i, I always took enough classes where i wouldn't send up no red red flags about pursuing psychology as my degree so it's like i, I enrolled in my physics and my math classes so they could be like oh yeah she's still a CoSAM student in order to keep my scholarship. But the whole time, I think by the end of my sophomore year, I knew I wanted to do something helping humans and, like, related to healing. Um, and I just I just didn't want to be locked away in a lab with no um, contact with the outside world for the rest of my career. And that's kind of the trajectory I was on. At the same time, I was volunteering in the psychology labs. Mm. So I, I made contact, and I got real good friends, like, hey, remember me? With one of these professors in psychology who just happened to be, for whatever reason, um, connected to the physics department. And so I started, like, just cleaning up the, the psychology lab. Like, his lab. And then from there, I met another professor who was doing stuff more similar to what I wanted to do, which was therapy. And so I, what I will say is that also gave me the experience to figure out what I wanted to do. Because I didn't really necessarily know I wanted to be a therapist. I just knew I wanted to do something with people. And the only place on campus that that was happening was through the psychology department. So they had, like, a child care thing. They had um, human development and family studies out of that department. Like, all of these things were housed together, right? And so I got exposed to a lot by volunteering in that department and just, like, being around. Um, And I figured out that I liked the therapists. Um, That's what I wanted to do. And so my senior year, I was trying to make myself on paper look like a candidate for a master's program in mental health even though I was this uh, that's, math that's physics major, right? So so all the physics stuff, all the math stuff got pushed way to the back on my resume. Um which was kind of weird because it's like I was winning awards and shit in math and physics, but I was like, um I volunteer at this point, you yeah, know, like yeah, you have yeah. to highlight like how is this connected? But, like, high key, well, I also got a graduate assistantship because I had this experience with math. I was really good at it. And so, um, they hired me to do uh, the institutional research, which is where you're asking students about their experience of campus. But you're also doing the graphs and shit for the university's website. And so, I actually got to blend that, like, math and human interaction parts of me really good in my um, my master's program. So, yeah, so that's what I did. I just took enough classes to keep my scholarship and took all of the psychology classes as like an elective. Yeah. And literally two weeks before graduation, I changed my major so that I could graduate in psychology. Um, so like I said, I was applying to these programs and I was putting that I was a psychology <laughs> major, even yeah. though I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I I don't care. I'm done with it now. Yeah, I had to pay for college some kind of way. And that's how it got done. Damn it. I figured out what I wanted to do. But if I would have changed my major, I would have lost my scholarship. So um, yeah, I finessed the system. And I got my degree (laughs) in psychology. (laughs) Um, Because I took all the classes as electives in my off time for math. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that that was kind of like my trajectory. And I chose clinical mental health counseling, um, one, because the program was at Auburn. And at the time, you know, I I loved Auburn, had friends there. My sorority was popping there, you know, so um, I stayed. I chose to stay. Uh, So, yeah, one, because it was at Auburn. And because I feel like clinical mental health was sort of like the super clinical training that I needed. That prepared me now. Like, I feel like if I would have done social work or marriage and family therapy or something else as a master's degree, I wouldn't have had the the clinical skills that I have now. Like, that program is kind of like skills boot camp. You learn a lot. Oh, I see. You learn a lot about how to be a therapist in the room. Okay. All right. Yeah, and if you have any more questions, you can always hit me up. I'm always down to talk about it. I mean, I'm not
1: a therapist, not a healer, was never a math major. (laughs) <laughs> but I feel like you should... I hope that Denye mm-hmm. is also telling people that they want to do this. Like, talking to people so, uh-huh. like at the college mm-hmm. that they're mm-hmm. at, or, like, if there's, uh, they're thinking about... If they know where they want to apply to grad school, I think you're yeah, like, yeah, you, yes. you have to put the feelers yeah. out to figure yeah. out what is it that you can do in your specific context to be like, okay, right. this is where I am. What is it that I need to yeah. do? Yeah,
0: yeah. And also, like... You, um, you have skills that are transferable. Like, it's not just, it's not like, oh my gosh, a whole new thing. No, no. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't have this interest, right? So I know a lot of the math education girls that I was taking classes with, they, they applied to counseling programs too, right? So it's not, you're not in this by yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. So like, also try to find the overlap at your university. Like, where are people, yeah, where are people like connecting Make those connections. You're going to need those letters of recommendation. Yeah. yeah, That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Because the letters of recommendation from math teachers is like, oh, okay. But, like, you got to get it from the human services folks. Okay. Yep. All right. So, last but not least, in a community's contributors segment. All right. So, we got a DM from Vera. (laughs) And Vera writes, hi, Money and Nikita. Huge fan. Y'all have mentioned several times on the show how you've had a DM slide intervention for money. I, too, am hopelessly stumbling into folks' inboxes. Can you give tips and pointers on the show? Additionally, give me an old black lady name. So, <laughs> Vera is what we did. <laughs> yeah, so we have mentioned it, like, so many times that y'all did a DM intervention with me. So. Do you want to share what you learned from your DM intervention? <laughs> I feel like we made it pretty clear how
1: fucking bad it was.
0: It was really bad. Uh, I can't. I wish I could remember the uh, number episode, but I read live my actual DM messages. It was Um, So the first thing that I remember learning from DMs is, (laughs) the DM intervention is, do not mention time zones. (laughs) (laughs) Time zones was like my default thing to talk about. I don't know why. So it's the nerdiest shit. It's not a conversation starter. So I guess a a more broad takeaway from that is, is don't, Don't nerd out on something that's not, like, a conversation starter. Yeah. So, like, me talking about... Did you know that the mountain time zone is like... Just to... uh, Because you're
1: not... You're making yourself sound nerdy than you actually are. So, I feel like what Money was doing was... Somebody would be, like... You know, let's say we're on the East Coast. They'd be on the Mm -hmm. West Coast. And Money would be like, oh, wow. I bet it's still (laughs) early there, but it's so late here. I'm like, that's... Nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah.
0: So more general more general relatable topics as openers that's yeah. what i got from that um i got that emojis are your friends yeah they're very and, flirty yes um and so that emojis can be flirty uh because i always worry about tone i feel like that's what trips me up in dms like in person i'm not that awkward i not promise at all, not like at all. i'm actually <laughs> kind of smooth in person but it's just in the dms it's just i worry about tone yeah like how is somebody reading this and and messaging somebody is already to me feels like they might read this as flirty yeah and so sometimes if i'm not trying to be flirty i feel like i have to overcompensate for that but if i am trying to be flirty i feel like i have to directly say You, yes, I am flirting with you, especially for women. It's just like you almost have to, like, shake their shoulders and be like, this is me flirting in a gay way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so emojis.
1: You're good at asking questions now. I I, I see that you like ask questions, mm-hmm. not like bizarre, nerdy, narrow questions, but just like mm-hmm. ask questions to like learn more about them. And mm-hmm. it's a good way to like keep
0: the convo going. Mm-hmm. Keeps the convo going. I feel like directive, like I would just, you know, go on and on with these conversations. It has to be intentional conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if for somebody to feel like you're interested, it's the intentionality. Yeah. Right. So I got that from that conversation that night you know uh, a little picture doesn't hurt what kind of picture there. nikita shut up why are you ask? why are you be asking me stuff that you know the answer to i don't I no, should slap you no because someone no i feel like that's a fair question i'm I,
1: not saying you're sending a lewd
0: or i a don't I, I first of all i don't send i you. know that you
1: don't so i'm saying what kind of picture are you sending
0: i send you know selfies usually like i think i i'm very photogenic so, you I'll are. send a, a cute picture of me. I'm, I usually have on a cute little outfit. So, I'll send a flirty, like, here's my outfit today. See, that's cute. That's Accentuating good... Accentuating the, the nice. boobies, you that's know. That's nice. All this in DMs, yeah. All right. mm-hmm. Wow. I'm so glad
1: we've um, been able to cross this uh, hurdle together. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were... There was no
0: hope. It really wasn't. I feel like a brand new bitch. You are. <laughs> so, Vera. <laughs> Send us an update. Yeah. I hope you- this helped. Questions? Um, broad open things that people actually want to talk about. Yeah. Flirty photos here and there, and emojis are your friends. Yeah. Oh, intentionality.
1: Yeah. So let us know yeah. how that goes. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. And so before we end, community contributors, Nikita. We also have some new patrons. Hi. Hey.
1: So shout out to Sydney. Hey, Sydney. Okay. Hey. <laughs> we see you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and Shantae. So, Shantae must have had a few dollars at home. <laughs> and that was an old school reference. I hope you caught that. I didn't. I just laughed. it. just I, And Aaron up their pledge.
0: Thank you, Aaron. Aww, look at y'all coming through with that beginning of the year coin. Indeed. All right. So, you could be
1: like Sydney, Shantae, and Aaron by either becoming a patron or upping your pledge. righty. So we want to move it on along to my personal
0: favorite segment on the show, the mental moment with money. This mental moment, I am going to do five active ingredients for healing. Okay. Active ingredients. Yes. Because it's like, uh, you know, like when you read a label on something or like medication. Oh, or the things you need ingredients, to ingredients. Yeah. Sure. The active the things that are working. Yeah. Um, Not that there aren't other ingredients, but that these work. The things right? that pack the punch. Yes. Um, and so I have to fully own. This is not my original idea. It's actually my remix from work of Dr. Omid. Naim, and I really hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, but Dr. Naim is in is practice is a practicing psychologist in Southern California, and they've been doing just a lot of work on how is it that people bounce back from things, right? Like, how do we heal ourselves? And, you know, since they're a person of color, working with a lot of, like, underrepresented populations in therapy, I thought, oh, this is somebody's work I should be paying attention to. So I've been doing that, and I'm gonna link the article that I read where they talked about um, the five active ingredients of healing, but I'm gonna give y'all my remix of it for this mental moment. All right, all right? All right. So first I wanna say, the reason why I wanted to do this is because I think we talk a lot about, like, healing, but I like to break stuff down and be like, okay, how do we do that, though? Okay. And, like, I'm, uh, y'all know with this whole segment, all I try to do is, like, give us tools where things can seem more doable, right? And so, not that you will never go through things, because going through shit is an unavoidable part of life. Um, stress is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen for as long as you are conscious and existing, right? So... I'm not trying to say that these, like, this avoidance doesn't help healing either, right? So not that I just need the positive energy. I just need to be out here not experiencing any trauma. Like, that That sounds great, but things happen. Right. And we are folks with marginalized identities, so stuff is going to happen. So just trying to give us better tools to bounce back when things do happen, okay. right? So as I was thinking about um, Dr. Naeem's work, I was thinking about resilience research in general and how... Um, so, resilience is just sort of like the clinical word for uh, last night took an L, but tonight I bounced back. You know, <laughs> like it's just like the ability to come back from something happening to you. And so this body of research has really focused on like what prevents people from recovering. If two people experience the same thing, what allows one person to sort of move on from it and what trips the other person up, right? And so what Dr. Naeem found was that people who are missing these five essential elements like struggle most to bounce back from things, right? Because our our bodies and our psyches are like designed to bounce back. So it's like, what keeps us from doing that, right? So I'm gonna tell you out of five things that you need to have in order to um, go through the healing process and recover, be more resilient, if you will. But also I wanted to do this because I think a lot of the ways, I, so I've been getting a lot more um, new clients and new starts these days. And I just hear people kind of talk about depression and anxiety as things, as like chronic illnesses that you will just always have to deal with for your the entirety of your life. Mm. Um, and for some folks, that is true, right? Like you have these recurring episodes. But I just wanted to talk about... Okay, I'm going to do this real quick, I promise y'all. Because I want to get to the five things. But... Up until the 1980s, like actually the late 1980s, like around 1988, resilience research always talked about depression and anxiety as episodic things. Like something happened or um, you, you are dealing with something. So maybe like nothing happened externally, but something happened internally. And this is an episode that you will recover from. That was the way anxiety and depression were talked was talked about. Um, but after 1988 or so, it started to be talked about as a chronic illness that mm. you would have to like medicate in order to deal with. Right. And so this is my conspiracy theory that like the whole way now that you know 20, 30 years after that that we talk about anxiety and depression as like these enduring things that will never go away, that are not episodic, that we can't ever recover from is because of Big Pharma. Yeah. That's, that's just I figured that's where you are going to go that's, that. that's That's just my little um conspiracy theory around this uh, because I was just looking at like what other development has there been? What has changed since then? Pharmacy. Um, pharmaceutical companies. Um, the number of SSRI medications has like completely shot up in the last 20 years, right? And I'm not saying this as in, like, you shouldn't take SSRIs if you deal with depression and anxiety, like, obviously. But even with those, research shows that medication alone does not treat depression and anxiety. They often don't have felt impacts unless you make some kind of life changes, Mm -hmm. right? So, um... Yeah, so you got to pair them with life change. So people will say therapy and medication, right? Like okay, the, yeah. Something has to change in life in order for you to feel the impact, right? So that was all background. I just wanted to tell y'all why I wanted to do this segment. <laughs> I hope it helped. I no, hope. No,
1: I think that kind of context is important.
0: <laughs> okay, I hope somebody was like, hmm, all right. All right, so the five active ingredients of healing. Y'all ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Let go. The first active ingredient is uncover your resilience. So like I told y'all, resilience is the word for bouncing back. Um, And so these things are innate. Our body has ways to heal from stuff, right? We just have to remember those things because this fits so much with how I see therapy. It's like, Mostly what I'm trying to do is help you crack the lock to your toolbox because you Mm. already have the tools you need to heal yourself. Oh, I love
1: that. I love that.
0: Um, Yeah, so, like, uncover those ways. What ways do you know how to feel better? What ways do you know how to be okay? What did your family do to be okay, to survive, to be all right? What is your user manual? All right, y'all, I'm a narrative therapist. I love metaphors, right? So if you had to sit there and write out your user uh, manual that comes with you, what would you write in it? The things like, that help ha- you to like troubleshoot, get yourself yes, going back again? Yes. The things that keep you functioning. Like if something goes wrong and you got to look into the manual of your wow. car or something, uh. you do the same thing for yourself. So yeah, really uncovering those ways that you feel all right. Number two is meaningful connection. I feel like I talk about this all the time in a mental moment too, but yeah, it's just feeling connectedness. Uh, We are social beings. Like we are not designed to live in isolation, right? This is connecting to the world we are a part of, um, communities we belong to, explore and define our values that are bigger than just our subjective needs. So like um what what I mean by subjective needs is yeah, like about to ask. um like what you personally need. So like okay, did you eat today? Did you um shower today? Do you have a place to live? Like all those um psychological first aid check in stuff. Okay. Yeah, those are those are things you need in order to like keep going, subsist, right? Sure. But in thinking about connection, that's just meeting your your literal physical needs in order to survive. But that doesn't mean that you feel. Like you have a purpose, mm. like you are called to do something sure. like bigger and greater. The things that make us feel that way is connection, exploring yeah. our values. And yeah, so when when we take time to do this, we feel a deeper sense of purpose, which is sort of exactly what depression tries to not make us feel it's like mm. we we don't have any purpose and right. like the world would just go on perfectly fine without us right, right? right and so you can see how finding meaningful connection is like the antidote to those kind of like thoughts and emotions that depression things like depression bring up okay number 3 disconnect from doing so i'm a, i'm going to break down what i mean by this cuz nikita you look anxious <laughs>
1: I'm just like, what um, could this possibly mean?
0: Disconnect from doing. What do you think that means? Don't do stuff. Yes. Busy is not a personality. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Uh, that is, that's <laughs> a personal attack. <laughs> you know, healing is most likely to happen in pauses. Oh. Um, this is what Dr. Knight says. Read that again. Healing is most likely to happen in pauses. Holy shit. Yeah. So I was thinking about this as far as sessions. Like, sometimes in session, I be thinking, I'm not even doing anything. Like, what the fuck? Ugh. Am I even a therapist? Why did I choose to this? <laughs> I spiral, right? But I have to step away from, like, this need that I have to be an effective therapist and really think about this is the one time in the week where this person has chose to sit yes, with their stuff. Yes, I was you just know?
1: about to say that. That
0: pause alone, like, creates the conditions for change, for healing, for yeah. forgiveness, for all those things, right? Um, and so you all, you have to disconnect from this productivity Um, just capitalist machine of doing and and never sleeping in order to... Uh, find that healing space, right? And so uh, Dr. Naeem was talking about like how much of our waking time is filled up with activity or distraction, like things that we use to escape. In the past few years, it used to be like six hours a day, seven hours a day. Now, on average, Americans spend 10 hours a day on a screen. Oh, my God. Whether it's TV, laptops, or phones, right? I was just thinking about like uh, disconnecting from doing And I was thinking about my friend, Chris, who came to visit us Mm -hmm. uh, for the Black Healing Expo. Hey, Sequoia. Hey, Chris. Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, she was talking about having sacred Sundays. Mm. And so this is such a perfect example of disconnecting from doing, right? So, like, I think somebody out there probably tightened up when I was, like, busy is not a personality. Because it's like, you just fill all your time. Yeah, You never have a moment for yourself. Chris does sacred Sundays and on, on weeks where it's really busy for her, she takes like just four hours in the afternoon to not do anything, right? So um I think a lot of people a lot of people will go into like planning their off time too yeah. of like what they're gonna get done on their free day. Yeah. Try just going into that free day with a free mentality. Just take a break. Take a fucking break. Whew. That wow, that one that one is really resonating with me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, and just a, another little tidbit, those uh, times where we disconnect um, from doing and like planning. it also allows the uh, creativity and like other types of stimulation to creep in. So, I, I mean, I found that to be true. The times where I'm like, I'm not going to do nothing today. I don't actually do nothing. nothing right. I'll, I'll make necklaces. Yeah. I'll paint. I'll do something. Right. And that's and that is personally productive. It helps me feel like I exist and <laughs> that I have life outside yeah. of these obligations. Yeah. Number four, immerse yourself in space and time. I'm going to break this down because it, it sounds kind of like, yeah, you know how I feel Immerse about Afrofuturistic things. Afrofuturistic burlesque troops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so immersing yourself in space and time, this is sort of, it kind of like gets away from what we do. Right. So let me back up. Let me back up. So Dr. Naeem talks about timeless and spaceless places, phones. So like, as we're scrolling on Instagram, we have no sense of time and place. Right? It's just, like, everything... People could yeah. be all over the world, but your timeline puts them all together. Yeah. Right? And so we have no sense of, like, like space, like, how far the, yeah. how the distance between and all that stuff. Netflix. I was thinking about this because I, I twisted my hair yesterday and I, like, binged this whole season of a show. And you just completely lose track of time. You, yeah. like... It's 3.30 in the morning, you know? Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. But on the screen that you're watching, it's 3 in the afternoon and everybody's going on, you know? And something else about that that I thought of with this immerse yourself in time and place is, like, I'm watching other people be in other spaces and I feel like I am. But you're not But I'm not. I've been in my living room all day. Right? And so, like, you don't get that, like, change of scenery. Uh, You don't get to experience the breeze on your face and, like, all these things, right? um, It's just, like, a timeless and spaceless ingestion of things that are happening, right? Oh, that fucking and, breeze on the face.
1: Yeah. Every time I go outside when I haven't been outside in a long time, I'm, like, it feels like yeah. I'm in, like, a totally different... Like environment, yeah. Because I am exactly, actually. yeah. Like it, it,
0: it's such a visceral feeling. It's different. Go ahead. T- today, when I was walking back to my house, it was raining, you know, and I was like, "When was the last time I was outside in the rain?" Yeah, just like walking in the rain, you know. I, I can't think of the last time, exactly. Um, but you know, I watch I watch a show where it's pouring down rain, like, and Ooh. I'm like, "Oh, girl, <laughs> she better get inside." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so y'all. When I was reading this, I just had all this imagery of nature, and I guess I'm an earth science or whatever, But and because it snows so much here in Syracuse. But when when we get stuck in 10 hours of like not any change and just sort of simulated change, it also disconnects us from how long it actually takes things to change. Like, I was thinking about um, the leaves falling off the trees In yeah. the same process of healing, right? Mm. So, I think people, by, by session three, people are like, okay, bitch, therapy ain't working. Because yeah. I've been here three weeks and ain't nothing changed. Have you ever noticed how, how long, long it, it takes, takes for, for leaves yeah. to grow back? So, it's like, you expect your ass to change in three weeks. Because every way that we ingest and um, and connect socially now is outside of space and time yeah you know so i just think about like even going to the club and the club closed at two or three yeah you like you know it's one thirty. you like oh i better say something to her now because like <laughs> we about to not have this space no right. more like even that gets lost and disconnected in yeah. like these um, ways right so um immerse yourself in space and time all right last but not least. Nourish your body and brain, and so um, I think folks talk about this a lot. So I won't, you know, belabor this point. I just wanted to highlight, like I said, Dr. Naeem is doing some badass shit. Um, I just know that they have some queer folks in their vicinity because this this work just feels so informed. Yeah. Um. And it, but it re- actually remind me of like Amy and Joanna that we highlighted last uh, episode for Queer Walks of the Week, um, because. Because Dr. Naeem said, you know, we get all wrapped up in these self-help, quick-fix, diet-type fad things when we talk about nourishing our body and brain. But all his work is saying is to eat foods your ancestors would recognize. And I was like, "Ditch!" you know that's some queer fox shit right yeah, there. Yeah. Like, okay, so we nourish our body and our brain in the same ways. Like, imagine if your ancestors from hundred 100 years ago plop down in your living room would they be able to recognize the food on your plate right, right, right. that's that's his suggestion for eating a healthy lifestyle wow like ain't that sh- that's that feels so much different to me than like shaming people yeah. about sugar sure, sure, shaming sure. people about um eating you know fast food and all this shit it's yeah. just like would your ancestors recognize your plate right and similar heat and same shit for exercise do exercises your ancestors could have done so, like, oh, you don't you don't need the CrossFit gym. Yes. You don't need the cycling right. class, which I mean, obviously those are great ways to take care of your body. But I think so much when we talk about healing, we get wrapped up in the tools that we don't have. Yeah. And all of his work is about like we already have the tools, we just have to unearth. Unlock them. the box. Exactly, bitch. So yes, do exercises your ancestors would have done. Eat food your ancestors yeah. would have recognized. Um, and when your body isn't Focused on physically healing. Then it can emotionally emotionally mm. and spiritually heal. Right? And then just my little nerdy uh, addition. And remix to that. Is that some micronutrients. Have actually <laughs> uh, been found to promote resilience. As far as trauma. Um, so yeah. Nerdy thing. Alright. So y'all know I like to give a rundown. The five active ingredients of healing. Uncover your resilience. Meaningful connection. Disconnect from doing, immerse yourself in space and time and nourish your body and brain. Holy shit, that was amazing. Bow. You know, that was very, <laughs>
1: very good.
0: I be having, you know, I just be having to prove to these bitches that I am a therapist and I be doing shit. Wow. And I'm just, I'm just out here trying to get my credentials so that I can heal my folks. You prove whatever you need to to them, but you don't need to prove anything to us. Because it's it's very clear. You know.
1: That you're a healer. Yes. And a therapist.
0: Licensure is an elitist process. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm already, I'm certified by my community. (laughs) Bitches. That was was really phenomenal,
1: though. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm a
0: LBAT, a licensed black-ass therapist. Okay?
1: (laughs) All right. Oh. Ding
0: ding 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 and now our bi-weekly word from our womanist worker wordsmith wizard Nikita ding 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 yeah oh my gosh <laughs> so what you going to school us on today Nikita
1: all right, well, this is... It just happened to be um, fortuitous. I didn't plan it this way, but yesterday, one of our friends, somebody who we know, uh, who I work with in BLM Syracuse, along with some other folks, put on a panel with uh, former Black Panther Party members. So the panelists included Seku Adinga, who was a political prisoner for 33 years, um, his partner... Dequay Kioni Siddiqui and then there was a researcher and a scholar and a writer from UMass Matt Meyer so I was late so I didn't get to hear them do their individual uh spiels but I was there for the Q&A and one of the things that Dequay had mentioned that I didn't know about that I thought was um really important is she told us this story of This person, Kamal Siddiqui, and that's who I'm going to talk about a little bit today. And so she made it a point because, you know, everybody within the movement or who's, like, around the movement knows, like, the Asada chant, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it is our duty to fight for freedom. freedom. It's our duty to win.
0: We must love and support each other. We We have have nothing nothing to lose by our chains. chains. Mm -hmm.
1: And so she made this statement. So she was like, everybody, you know, a lot of people like to talk about that chant. And they love to talk about Asada, you know, Asada's on t-shirts. And so she was like, but one of the things that, you know, Asada would be the first one, Asada Shakur um, would be the first to say is that she was working on behalf of, mm-hmm. and like she was all, it was always like a collective struggle for her. And so she said that to say that it was not just about Asada, but so there are other people who were killed um, by the state, by the FBI, CIA and police, you know, but like folks like Fred Hampton, but there's mm-hmm. also just a number of people who spent obscene amounts of time in jail in prison or prison right yeah. political mm-hmm. prisoners and so she was like the same people that like you know do this chant aren't always talking about those other people who've been who've been the
0: context you think that's what
1: yeah, like yeah I, I think that t- mm-hmm. so and that's this is again my interpretation, you know,
0: she could listen to this thing. This is your interpretation of the situation. Right, because she could
1: be like, bitch, that's not what I meant at all. But mm-hmm. she did say this. Mm-hmm. And so she told the story of Kamal Siddiqui, who was well, I think was a former partner of Asada Shakur, and they had a kid together. Mm-hmm. And so she was like the same people that talk about Asada Shakur may not necessarily know the stories of folks again like Sekou Adinga, uh Sundiata Okoli, H. Rat Brown, and you know, like Kamal Siddiqui mm-hmm. and so many other um, political prisoners mm-hmm. who again have spent really just absurd inhumane and cruel amounts of time
0: a ho- whole lifetime lifetime like, they've been
1: in jail for long longer than i've been alive exactly yeah. and again i think that what the point that she was trying to get across is that like younger folks who are um who are doing who are continuing to do movement work need to make sure that we're not just like thinking about and talking about these mm-hmm. people. So she did say, like, we need to make sure that we continue to say these folks' names. Yeah. Right. But also be providing um, support to mm-hmm. like political prisoners who are in the movements that we say that
0: we're like inspired by yeah. and taking a lead from. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that only happens in intergenerational uh, conversations, though. Exactly, exactly. Because, I mean, the obvious thing that I think is we don't know these names because they locked up a generation of black activists. Exactly, exactly. So, like, that's the only spaces that us who are younger get that. It's in conversation, so. So,
1: they have this book called From the Panther 21 to 21st Century Revolutions." Look for Me in the Whirlwind. And so it's an edited collection. One of the uh, pieces in the Look For Me in the World When um edited collection is by Daruba bin Wahad and Paul Wolf. And so Daruba bin Wahad was a part of the um New York Panther twenty one. And I'm I'm gonna get into that in a little bit. But he was also in prison for like decades. And he was um he was um released but I guess still spent far too much time in um Prison. In prison, and so one of the the arguments that they make in this piece because the the this piece is entitled "Asada Shakur: Excluding the Nightmare After the Dream," and the subtitle is the quote unquote terrorist label and the criminalization of revolutionary black mm-hmm. movements in the U.S. Yeah, and so the in the article in this section of the article that they're, they're making a really good point that in order to understand the context of what happened to Asada shakur that you have to understand the broader context like the really vociferous relentless extremes that the state went through to try to tear apart yeah the, the black, black liberation uh yeah. movement in particular the black panther party mm-hmm. so and so the black panthers i mean they were started in 1967 the black panther party becomes a major target of the fbi in 1967 and so this is just 10 months after it was mm-hmm, founded mm-hmm. so that shows you how the black panther party were able to like inspire Mobilize, and galvanize yeah, yeah. folks because it's like mm-hmm. it hadn't even been around for a year yeah, yeah. right and mm-hmm. so of course folks probably know about um COINTELPRO which is the counterintelligence um program and that was a that was a specific operation wing of the FBI meant to target the black liberation movement in general uh but the Black Panther Party um in particular and so listen to this so by March 1968 uh, the the program had expanded to include 43 FBI field offices. At the height of the Black Panther Party, it had like 5,000 members. Yeah. And so in the 5,000, I mean, in terms of like a mass membership based organization mm-hmm. that's huge, but in comparison to how many black people right. in the country, it's not that's that really many. It's not that It's not it's, that not, many. it's, not, a, it's not a lot, yeah. right? But again, but I think I saw recently on something that the that the paper like the News organ of the Black Panther Party its circulation was in, like, the hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. even though the membership might have been relatively small, the impact was certainly wider yeah. than the number. I
0: mean, we know that with black organizations now. Right. Like, I, I even just think about um, sororities and fraternities. It's like, ain't that many active uh, right? Um, card-carrying members, but the impact, right, is so big. And I think that's why it was like, oh, wow, in just 10 months they caught the eye to FBI. Right. Because it's, it's that, yeah, the resonance. The program and
1: the and the revolutionary politics really resonated yeah. with folks, and so one of the points that they make in um, this piece. Is that it was specifically because it was a revolutionary organization, meaning it was connecting to the third world struggles for national liberation like across the globe, mm-hmm. right? It was specifically anti-capitalist and even identified itself as like a Marxist, Leninist, and Maoist party. So totally it wasn't just saying the the system needs to be reformed, it says the whole thing's gotta the go, whole right? Damn system, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it was because it was those Sort of, not sort of those revolutionary politics that we're saying, that we're really speaking to and speaking out against the extreme repressive apparatus of the state, right? We all know those iconic images of like the Black Panther Party on the steps of uh, Sacramento Mm -hmm. like in the guns. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, there's all kinds of um, debates about um, that. But it was really saying that like black people had a right to self-determination and self-defense, right? So it wasn't just because they were in guns, but it was because, again, those radical politics, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is why the BPP received the ire of the state, right? So again, March 1968, the Cointel Pro had expanded to 43 FBI field offices. And so
0: when you say field offices, this means that 43 different FBI locations across the country were committed, were committed to the Black Panther Party. Right. And so and this is what Cointel
1: Pro explicitly said that their purpose was it, in terms of Black organizations uh, like uh, the Black Panther Party. It was to quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect discredit or otherwise neutralize that is the direct language of um of the fbi and its approach to black organizations like the black panther party right that's straight from um cointelpro And then in um, 1976, there was a Senate report that came out. So long after, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the the really virulent and disgusting and violent repression, it said 90% of all actions targeted towards the Black Liberation Movement were targeted towards the Black Panther Party. I think it was Herbert Hoover, who was the director of the FBI, said that it was like this, said that the Black Panther Party and like the Black Liberation Movement was like the single greatest threat like the security yeah i've heard that before right yeah and so they did all manner of things right illegal wiretapping right they arrested folks in the party on totally trumped up and false charges um they again like we said there were um they literally executed and murdered people um again including uh like the leader of the party in chicago fred hampton and there's other folks um another bpp member that was murdered was mark clark and so you know and it's so ironic because one of the points that they were making in the panel is like people tried to say um that the the black panther party was um, totally violent but like the repression of the state like this is violent. like the yeah. epitome yeah. of violence right and i want to just talk a little bit about the uh the new york 21 and so in 1969, 21 leading members of the Black Panther Party were indicted and arrested on bogus charges of conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And these, again, these mm-hmm. are leaders. Right. And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to neutralize or take out anything, right. um, the way that you do that is to get at the leaders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so this happened because three undercover New York police officers infiltrated the New York chapter. Of the Black Panther Party, yeah. mm-hmm. right?
0: And no, I was just thinking, um, Afini Shakur, um, was one of the New York 21. Yeah. Tupac's mama. Exactly. Um, as the, uh, BPP member was saying, like, all the names that we don't know, it's, it's intentional, right? It's exactly. Like, it's not exactly. just, like, us young folks aren't seeking them out. And I'm also feeling kind of emotional, because I'm like, where would we be you know, had the FBI not attacked the Black Panther Party exactly. or the Black Liberation Movement in general, right, in such disgusting ways? So, I just kind of want to talk
1: about three other programs, uh, or two other programs, because we already talked a little bit about the wide sweeping nature of Cointel Pro, but they also had this program called New Kill. Okay, so May 1971. The New York 21 are acquitted of all those ridiculous trumped up conspiracy charges. However, in that same month and in that same year, there's like two to four New York police officers with the NYPD who are killed. And so the FBI and the NYPD. Use the killings of these police officers as a pretext or a guise to continue to target and disrupt uh, the Black Panther Party. And so in the piece, Daruba bin Wahad makes the point that while the BLA, the Black Liberation Army, sent out a communique taking responsibility for the killings, the NYPD and the FBI had actually not done any sort of like real investigation. And they just immediately used this as an opportunity to go after uh, the BPP members. And in particular, those members who had just gotten off um, in the New York 21 case. All right, so that's Operation New Kill. And now I'm going to move on to talk about Operation Chess Rob. And this is actually really disturbing because... As Asada Shakur um, has said, you know, of course, her slave name, as sh- that's the language she uses and her comrades use, was Joanne Chesimard. So the FBI post Pro came up with this program called um, Chess Rob. Like, it's, it's like a sick play and on her name. last name, right? Oh and so another one of the things, because um, remember they said that they, it wasn't just to, like, neutralize and get rid of, and, like, harm and kill members of the um, Black Panther Party, but it was also to cause disruption. So one of the things that they mentioned is that anybody who's ever organized or been around a group of people trying to do anything together, you know that mm-hmm. there's going to be tensions. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the FBI did was it exacerbated already existing tensions by implementing informants in the group, and so they created these, like, QEP Newton on the West Coast and, like, the East Coast Eldridge Cleaver wing, mm-hmm. right? But anyway, Asada Shakur joined um, the Black Panther Party in Harlem, and so she um, aligned herself mm-hmm. with the with the East Coast mm-hmm. faction in that in that manufactured um, faction, as right, we should right. say, right. And so she became a target of the FBI's post-cointel program uh it was an anti-urban guerrilla terrorism investigation and they named this effort chess robe again a really sick play on her name right so by 1972 and this is before she's arrested in 73 but by 1972 the media had was already calling her the quote-unquote soul of the black liberation army and she was labeled a suspect in virtually every new york city bank robbery where Mm. a woman thought was thought to have participated,
0: right? Mm-hmm. And so. They were wh- just trying to throw anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And so, the mm-hmm. point,
1: one of the overarching points that they're trying to make in this piece is that it's impossible to understand the attacks on Assad without understanding that this is a fully targeted, mm-hmm. repressive um, attack meant to effectively ruin mm-hmm. and destroy, like, the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Movements. So she was stopped on the New Jersey um, Turnpike, along with Zaid, Malik, Shakur, and Sundiata. And um, Sundiata Okoli, I think as far as I know, is still locked away behind bars. Mm. 73, she and her comrades are stopped. So in 1979, that's when she's liberated, her comrades liberate her from the New Jersey prison. And from there, she lives in political exile mm. in Cuba. This is the broader context that we need to understand, not just what happened to Asada Shakur, but who I'm going to talk about next, Kamal Siddiqui. So in 1971, Kamal's living in um, Atlanta and there was a police officer in Atlanta in 1971 and he was murdered, right? And so they say that there was two witnesses um, that said that they saw three random black men running from the van um, where uh, the officer was sitting Mm -hmm. at a gas station. So... The, the witnesses didn't even identify Kamal in a lineup. There was no physical evidence. there's nothing to to implicate to implicate right, Sadiki. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in 1971, the Atlanta Police Department closes the case.
0: right there's no evidence There's no freaking
1: right. evidence right And this is the thing that just fucked me up and I just I just can't believe i had never heard of this. Fast forward 28 years later, so the FBI do something just so despicable but it's not unlike them, right? They said that if Kamal Siddiqui, because remember they have a kid together, mm-hmm. Kamal and, and Asada. Mm-hmm. And so they say, you either help us lure Asada Shakur out of Cuba so we can arrest her or we will make or we will see to it that you spend the rest of your life in prison. And so naturally him being a person of fucking principles.
0: Principles. It's like yeah.
1: I'm not gonna Fuck fucking y'all. do that. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no way I'm gonna fucking do that. Yeah. Not just to my comrade and you know the mother of my Mama. child. But <laughs> yeah. like on principle, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna fucking do that. Mm-hmm. Something happens in 2001, and again, this this is important because you know this is post 9 11, right? And so we mm-hmm. think about that a lot of the political prisoners um, who are in who are uh, black revolutionaries are Muslims. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? we, we right. can't forget that. Yeah. And so anyway. Uh, a former BLA member uh, gave a statement about the 1971 murder, right? So they were detained during a traffic stop. So there was no eyewitness testimony and, again, no physical evidence. The, so the state just says, you know what? These three former BLA members have come forward. We're going um, to reopen the case. So the FBI pressured the, uh, the, the Atlanta police to reopen that fucking case. Kamal was arrested in 2002 in uh, Brooklyn, again, fucking 31 years after the murder mm-hmm. where there's no evidence, mm-hmm. right? And so in 2003, Judge Stephanie uh, Mannis sentenced Kamal Siddiqui to life imprisonment. And one of the things that uh, Dequay mentioned on the panel last night is that the same judge that sentenced Kamal Siddiqui to life in prison is she also presided, she was also the presiding judge. In the case of H. Rap Brown, also known as Jamil Abdullah Alamim.
0: So she's just building her career on um, falsely and wrongly imprisoning Black Panther party members. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. And so,
1: unfortunately, um, Kamal is still in um, prison. And I'll post a link to uh, a website. And there's a mailing address. So one of the things that she encouraged people to do is to write. Like it's like they were like it's really important to keep in touch mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Um, our political prisoners. And so there's like a mailing address. And so she's also a part of an organization. So it's the Jericho Movement, and it's a it's a specifically a movement um, to help get uh, political prisoners free from um, prison. So I'll share a link. Um, to the National
0: Jericho Movement in there. I'm not surprised. Of course not. Um, you know, and, and I feel like right now it's it's almost like a joke uh, because of, like, the Jesse Smollett situation of, like, what the cops will, like, do. Yeah. Uh, or the feds will do to sort of, like, manipulate a situation to look a certain way. But I, all I keep thinking, like, as I hear you talk about this, and you told me about it before we started recording, but just, like uh where we would be like had this not happened. Like yeah. had the FBI not waged war against these black folks. The
1: um the last thing that I wanted to say is that I think when I did the word um black August, I put a link in there but I'm also there's a, a Guardian article I saw from a while ago that listed had nineteen uh, political prisoners are still behind bars. And so, like, uh, to DeQuay's point, it's really important for us to remember them. So we'll mm-hmm, uh, be sure to mm-hmm. um, put a link um, to that in the show
0: notes. And, like, Asada's daughter has to, like, live without her mom and, and her dad. And her dad, yeah. yeah. It's like you you know the history. Yeah. But I, it almost reminds me of, like, Alexis Pauling Gum's talking about uh, archival research. Yeah. As time travel, because this feels so, like, scary and present right now. Yeah. How targeted we feel today is not just, like, a new thing. Yeah. You know? It d- it didn't come out of, like, dust. It came from these places in a way that the state will fabricate and, like, paint people into criminals. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, like, blows me away. I talked about it with, like, how all the, the changes that happen in... Um, like painting, um, like schizophrenia and stuff as yeah. like a, a anti um, U.S. thing, and just like that, this was the biggest threat to the country. That like the black people fighting for like liberation yeah. was the biggest threat. That like forty three fucking FBI offices across the country—that's basically one in every state, almost. Yeah, damn near. Yeah, I mean, I can go on. I'm just—I feel like I'm just talking through like my emotions. No, I but think like, that's fine. You know, the collusion between. NYPD, and Atlanta PD, and, And like, uh, and the FBI, and, I mean, shit, all the fucking, um, like, shared training that happens uh, between police, between uh, campus police and city police. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I mean, thank you for the work, Nikita, but it feels like I just don't want to, like, flap it and drop it, you know? Like, we have to remember political prisoners. We have to remember folks, um, it just makes me, I guess uh, the takeaway for this for me is like, yes, we have to remember political prisoners, but it hurts me that that was stolen from us as baby revolutionaries. Um, maybe maybe we're adolescent revolutionaries at this point. Because sadly, like most of them were younger than us when they were locked yeah. away or murdered. or murdered. So like, um, it just really hurts me that we didn't get to meet and organize with these black folks who wanted to see us free because the FBI didn't want to see us free. Um, This country didn't want to see us free. So now we have to do the work of learning and, and, um, like, excavating this history. Like, we have to fight for it now because because this happened. I think it's really important that you did that to sort of conclude um, our Black History Month episodes because last time you talked about just, like, how how much Woodson worked so that we wouldn't have to do this with our history. Like, that, that would be an intergenerational yeah. transmission of it. So it feels like a, a good follow to the last word that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just want to, like, reframe this in a, a strength-based approach of, like, look at how much we have survived yeah. as black folks fighting for just the fucking right to exist in this country and it's just it i don't know i had to like take a break and re-re-empower myself you know that you know that quote like you, they can try to jail the revolution but they can't the, the revolutionary but they can't jail the revolution yeah. that is what i was thinking about i was like okay you can jail the revolutionary, but you can't jail the the revolution. Yeah. Um, that how much that is important in like staying in contact with political prisoners.
1: I mean that is the black ass bottom line. But I really want people to check out uh, the National Jericho Movement and just find out more to learn more about how we can be... It's not just enough to say their names, but it's like, what kind of active, real support can we be giving to the people who are still um, incarcerated? And mm-hmm. I was inspired by that when they were talking about that. A lot of folks in the mainstream may not know about this. There are still people who are actively fighting um, yeah. to get people out. Yeah,
0: because that's also part of, like, the war from the state, right? It's like, you lock these people away and they will be forgotten. And so, so much of... Of not doing that. Is to not forget folks. Exactly. Right? It's like, yeah. Alright. So, we're going to move on along into the topic. And so, this episode, we wanted to talk about something that is so light. <laughs> How do we make friends as adults? I was,
1: We were out the other day. Uh, Eric Pritchard came. Shout out to him. Oh, yes! Dr. Eric Pritchard Dr. came. Dr. Eric Pritchard. Did this amazing presentation mm-hmm. on black gay fashion designers. But we were around people, and I just I was like, Oh, my God, Nikita, you have totally forgotten how to socialize, how to be a human with others. And my, I was talking to my girlfriend about it. I was like, You know, I feel like I'm just getting, like, weirder. Like, the more time I spend alone. And mm-hmm. she just sat there, and she looked at me like, you are. Like, I hate to break it <laughs> to you, but you are <laughs> getting weird. I, you are getting weirder. And so we were in the car the other night. And we were talking about something. And again, I spent a lot of time by myself. So we're, we're in the car together. And I'm just looking out the window. And I talk with my hands. Not when, not just when I'm with others, but I even talk to, with my hands when I'm talking to myself. And so I see her looking at me, and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" I was, like, I just had a full on conversation by a full on expressive conversation by myself with you in the car.
0: Okay, so that's not how you make friends. So i so I'm saying,
1: holy shit! You're weird. I've got it. That
0: that that is
1: not the conclusion. I was saying that, oh, my God, I have to, like, be, I have to start socializing more. And it's, like, Mm. the people who I love here, you know, a lot of the people who I'm close to are nearing the end of their programs. And I'm, Mm -hmm. like, wow, Nikki, you're going to have to, like, make
0: friends. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get into how you do that, I feel it helpful to always name what you're up against. Okay. So what are the problems or the barriers that get in the way of making friends as adults? Well, fucking weirdness, apparently. (laughs) With, with, you're a weirdo. Social awkwardness. You're just weirdo. Because there's a difference between social awkwardness and being a weirdo. I think social awkwardness is like, um, it's cute. I like, I like it. It's like, uh, I'm, no, I'm clunky, but uh, I am trying yeah. to to human with but you. But w- what am I, the fucking hobbit? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What
1: are you, what you saying then?
0: Say it to the mic. Say it with your chest. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, social awkwardness is like, still social. <laughs> <laughs> and weird weirdo is just weird like you you repeating
1: the term weird does not help us to uh, does not help to elucidate th- that is, what it means
0: that is in african american english that that is a definition you know like if you look it up in the african american dictionary uh, yeah she's weird I don't She, know. she weird, know I mean? weird 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 you just keep re- repeating whatever. the word whatever she weird you know weird
1: <laughs> anyway so social, <laughs> social awkwardness can be a barrier. And then what's another
0: one? Um I think for me it's that I have obligations that put me in spaces with people I don't like most of the time. Yeah. And for most it's, people, yeah. it's work. So yeah, work, school. So it's like I I don't and then like me I can't be friends with like my clients right even so even if I like them I still can't hang out with them after session and so it's like most of my you know like 12 hours out of my day is spent with people that I either don't want to have uh (laughs) friendships with or that I literally can't um and so what what other time does that leave me to interact with folks you know right so it leaves you like me to be sitting
1: in your apartment talking to yourself
0: I haven't reached that level yet, but yeah, I think that's a barrier to making friends as an adult. Sure. So lack of, there's
1: there's like a lack of social infrastructure to like meet people. Yeah. I would say another thing is there's so many parallels, I feel like, between like dating and like making a new friend. And it's like, how do I approach this person in a platonic way? Hmm. I don't want to like be like a, you know, Send mm-hmm. out the wrong vibe. Yeah. I think that can mm-hmm. be a mild barrier sometimes.
0: Mm. No, I No? Maybe only for uh, people that folks find attractive. Because that's never been a problem for me. I think, like, I, instantly people think that I am, like, being friendly. Interesting. But I think, like, you know if I was masculine presenting, maybe, for example, like if I was to approach someone in public, they would they would read it differently. Oh, it's like, I see what oh, you're saying. you Yeah. If if a person who's masculine presenting approach you in public, they obviously trying to holler. It's like no, but that's what the social scripts tell us. Oh, I see. You know, so I it's, see. it's like yeah. if somebody finds you attractive, then that can be a problem of like always being taken as flirty and uh-huh. not friendly.
1: I don't know, I feel like there's people who I'm oh, this person is like attractive, but like I'm still first and foremost my primary way of wanting to engage with them is like friend. I mean I feel like our crew is like a crew of bad bitches. I didn't
0: approach them saying yeah.
1: I'm like, Oh like these are like fine How nice do, so how do
0: we make our crew that I feel like this would answer this question of like making friends as adults. I feel like it's like common values. Like we were just in spaces where you wouldn't be if we wouldn't agree on something like black feminism. Yeah. Solidarity with Palestine. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like... So common interests, common values,
1: but also we were doing things. We were like, okay, there is a meeting. There is an event. Like, there's something where I'm like, I'm going to have something in common with the people who are there. Yes,
0: but... I do things like that with people that I don't consider friends. So I'm trying to think of like what's the difference? Like I, I share spaces like that all the time with people that I don't want them in my house. But I'm saying if you're trying to like meet people and make friends, you you at least have to, you have to, it's kind of like
1: you have to winnow it down. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like, It's like, in order to get rid of the trash. Like, I'm going to go. Doesn't mean that everybody there I'm going to be friends with, but I'm like, who
0: are the people who I'm most likely to, like, vibe with? Okay, what just actually made me think about, um, (laughs) that it was the Boston Batty Brigade. And I was talking to Allison about her playing basketball. Yeah. Because she's in, like, this rec team. And, uh, you know, and obviously, I don't want to play. I'll keep the statistics. But I will be there. Sure. And it just, you know, statistically speaking, there are more queer women of color exactly. on rec basketball team. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, or doing something like that. Like, I remember somebody invited me to watch, um, like, their rugby game. Yeah. So just in places where I would meet people with similar identities and interests. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, in in the parallel to dating, like, I don't. I think it's okay to strike out.
0: Like, How do you strike out and making friends? Because like, like you meet somebody, you're like, Oh, like I think we might get along. And then you Oh like, and then yeah. you're like, actually I don't think
1: I, I don't know if I like
0: yeah. this person. Yeah. I was I guess I was just thinking about initial interactions. So like I went to um uh one of my friends like final art exhibitions the other day, like the opening of her exhibit, and there were, you know, Folks there that I was like, oh, they might... They seem interesting or, you know... And this is just simply me reading people. Yeah. So, I'm like, all right. And talking to folks and then after talking to, to them for a few minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, actually, exactly. We wouldn't be friends. Yeah. But... I still felt like I made a meaningful connection. So, like, next time I see this person at an event, they'll be like, hey.
1: Yeah, that's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe this is not going to be, like, your new bestie. Right. But you're like, all right. You were saying something about knowing how to be a good friend in order to make a friend.
0: Yes. Say more. I, I just immediately think about, like, things that I've experienced where I'm like, wow, this person is not really a friend to me. And also seeing so many teenagers in session is just... Um, what will you accept in a friendship? S- really, really similar to like relationship advice, right? It's like, I don't want a friend who tries to like pocket me. Like, like, this is your lane as my friend. I uh-huh. will only interact with you if we are doing this thing. Uh-huh. To me, that doesn't feel like a fulfilling friendship. Okay. And I know some people have, like, you know, club friends. Like, they only go to the yeah. club. But, like, that's not how I want to have friendships mm-hmm. at, like, 29 years old. Sure. Like, I want holistic friends. Yeah. And so that, to me, is, like, not being a good friend. Like, you only you only hit me up when you need a ride to Trader Joe's. Right. Or, you know, that's not a friendship. Sure. It's a it's, uh, exchange. And don't tell my, my business to other f- folks, yeah. you know. When when I'm confiding in you, please take that. Be trustworthy, reliable, dependable. Mm-hmm. Um, do things... Uh, give as well as receive. Sure. So, you know, like, I want you to emotionally... And like physically show up for me the same way I w- I would hope that I emotionally and physically show up for you. Yeah, be able to take feedback as a friend. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, hey, that really wasn't cool, what you did? Mm-hmm. Be like, you know what? I can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think all these things are like classics of like a good friend. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think personally, like
1: compartment certain kind of part- compartmentalized relationships. Are fine with me. It doesn't mean that they're any less, any, it's no less of a friendship, but it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's like we do, we have these particular set of things in common. Maybe it doesn't go above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a difference in how you make friends then? If there's, like, versus, I mean, I guess, like, to use like a common kind of language, like, the way that you would go about meeting a friend is going to be different than the way you go about meeting, like, a quote-unquote, like, associate then. Or an acquaintance?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lately, I haven't been making either. mm mm-hmm. uh, I haven't made any new friends or acquaintances, hence the topic. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it is different. It, it's actually funny. Like, as we were talking about, like... In that first moment where I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm like, oh, like I just get this sense. I can't, I can't explain it, but I just get this sense. Like this ain't gonna be, Nothing. this ain't gonna be no deep dark friendship, you yeah. know. Like this isn't gonna be ride or die, uh, tat matching tattoos on the wrist friendship. Uh-huh. Like, Are we gonna
1: do
0: that? I guess that was a no. <laughs> um, maybe <laughs> we'll get a hammer and sickle. I, I wish I could describe it I can't find words for it but it's just a feeling of like nah this person is not gonna but that doesn't mean that we're not cool you yeah, know I was like, yeah, yeah we I'll speak to you like I said you know I, next time I see you I'm gonna speak yeah all of that stuff but i'm I'm not gonna cry on your couch I don't know why crying on your couch is like my metaphor for friendship like <laughs> i I don't know I keep thinking about like this digital divide like, there are so many folks that I'm connected to on Instagram or Twitter that I want to be friends with, but it doesn't feel like we're friends. I mean, how do you do that,
1: especially if they're not here?
0: Girl, I have made deep-ass friendships off in um, cyberspace. Really? Yeah, like, there's so many options now, whether it's WhatsApp, video, calling, or, because I can't FaceTime because I don't have an Apple product, um, or Skyping, Google Hangouts. You know, like, where we can see each other, hear each other's voices. Interesting. I've gone to visit people that I've I've met, you know, that we've been friends sure. on social media. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think friendships can develop through digital um, interaction. Um, do you think, are we weird? Well, we, we already know the answer for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like I've made that um, point pretty clear.
0: No, I mean, like, are we bizarre? Like, do you think? people would want to befriend us.
1: I'm not a friendly uh, person. Like, I'm not, the kind not. Of, I'm not the kind of person where you're like, oh, that's such like a warm, open and inviting yeah, right. person and yeah. I want to...
0: Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's not bad. That's not a critique of you. No, me. yeah, it's I just, think, it's just yeah. the reality. I think that's the reality.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that I, you are that uh, when you want to be. I think I've seen you be very clear with people <laughs> that you do not want to have <laughs> any sort of association with.
0: This uh, is so funny.
1: Because um, they don't get that memo. <laughs> Yeah, I saw somebody yesterday who I
0: I realized that there's somebody
1: who I was like oh my god, I can't stand this person. Then I realized I'm like, actually I only can't stand this person because of Montanique. But it's it's a, it's a it's still an important beef that I will continue
0: to uh I'll continue See to what I mean, champion. I'm I'll be pulling my friends into these hatred yeah. war. I gotta stop doing that. No,
1: it's 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 war.
0: I'm like, we don't fuck with them. And I'm like, Well, we said we don't we don't fuck with them.
1: I think that you, but you are very like intentional about creating space and creating community. So I I don't don't think you're bizarre at all.
0: I think I do that, but people like not, people don't often respond to it. I don't know. I don't think that's true. I feel like I've seen people respond to it. Counting on my hair, like five or six consistent friends. Isn't that enough? You don't need like a whole bunch of friends as an adult, do you? I guess not yeah you're right it's about quality
1: yeah for me it's about the core that's why I'm like I've got my good Mm -hmm. four Mm -hmm. three and a half I mean look at the golden girls yeah yeah um yeah so it's like I just need to get to the whatever number or quality that's gonna help me stop being a fucking weirdo in my apartment
0: it's just I think you've had this time off and you've been by yourself a lot that's what it is but I
1: feel like I've been doing things I've been out social (laughs) I don't know. What, it's really actually alarming that every time I say something about my new bizarre, way, well, relatively new bizarre ways, my weirdness, I'm always met with this awkward silence where people are like, I'm really sorry to I break it to you. To I you don't know, know what to but say. But you're actually a fucking freak.
0: You're not a freak. Um, I just think, okay. Through, through doing this podcast with you, and also this is uh, my sixth year knowing you, that like it takes a long time to get to know you, Nikita. That is true. That's and true. And so I, I can't imagine you making friends. <laughs> I <laughs> make friends. Like, it's just, you know, I, I honestly feel like it wasn't until like year three where I was like, I think Nikita is my friend. <laughs> I think she likes me.
1: Whatever.
0: <laughs> For so long, I felt like you were going to give me just like a slip that said your uh, 90-day trial has expired. So, oh, like, my gosh. Whatever. Um, yeah, y'all. But help us out. How do you make friends as an adult? You can use the hashtag QueerWOC Please. and tell us. Whoa. This segment is called Curve, Curve. Curved, curved, curved. The segment where we talk about our dating woes and wins. And if you would like to send some of your dating woes and wins, you can do so to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Um, I feel like I have a curved chronicle. Uh, So I was just thinking about how I get comments and likes in the digital realm from my friends. But not for people who see me as anything else. It's, it's funny because I, like, jokingly told all my friends to stop commenting on my pictures. Because y'all know how films of color... And like women of color comment on pictures. Yes,
1: bitch, fuck that ass. <laughs> God damn that ass. Yeah, <laughs> titty sitting high. Right. <laughs> okay, sure. I'm like, all right,
0: oh well, yeah. So it's like, oh, maybe people, but that's not true at all. Because anybody who's interested in me would be looking at those comments and knowing that they are coming from a now those are purely uh, platonic yes, comments, a loving place. Um. But yeah, I just noticed that, and it also stood out to me because um, I was just thinking about how I think that my Twitter crush knows that they're my Twitter crush, mm-hmm. but they and they never comment or like or retweet anything I ever tweet. But like every once in a while, they will respond to a tweet that mm-hmm. I that I posted. Um, which will their response will obviously show that they've been seeing my other tweets, but okay. they they never like or retweet them. Yeah, and so I'm like, um, okay, maybe that people are weird. afraid of
1: being uh, being seen as like too thirsty. I think that's what it is.
0: So in in order to be seen as like not too thirsty, you're going to be seen. You'd rather be seen as completely uninterested or aloof. Yeah. That's annoying.
1: I mean, I didn't say it was justified, but I think that that might be a thing. How do you know that they know that they're your Twitter crush? What have they done to like signify that to you?
0: I don't know. Maybe it's just like I think something in my head and I'm like, this is obviously reality. And then I live into it. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that's one um, way to that's an answer. It's just like often when I tweet something, which I don't really commonly like tweet something about like having a crush or dating, yeah, they will reply, yeah, or again, like they don't they don't interact with my tweets, okay, very rarely do they, but they'll tweet something that seems like a response to something that I'm tweeting at the same time, oh, and i don't I, I don't see. think it's just like the collective unconscious, I think this is like oh okay, you obviously know that like I think you cute or whatever uh-huh. Cute and brilliant. I should start saying that. Because I've been working on how do you compliment somebody in a way. Beyond of, the physical. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, still out here serving sapphic single slay. Sapphic single slay. Yeah. Just be. I just be, you know, waking up every morning telling myself that these looks ain't going to serve themselves. They're so not. So I have to do it. You be serving, yeah. Courses. Mm-hmm. In full, full courses. You be full when you're done eating this meal. Oh, are we okay? Um, Yeah, you know, it makes me happy because it's so gray here and so white. Yeah. Um, And it's also like, hey, you know, I'm cute, I'm cute, I'm cute. You are. Very much so. I feel like when I feel cute, I put out different energy. Yeah. So, do you have a curve chronicle, Nikita? I do. I'm just going to use a pseudonym. But there's
1: somebody I know, their name rhymes with Don <laughs> and i was on the phone with this person this person claims to love you me are so they claim to care for me and we're very close allegedly and we allegedly we are close small allegedly we're close so i'm on the phone with this person and we're talking i don't even remember what we were talking about
0: Go ahead, get your little funky. This is not... first of all, this is this is by definition not a curved chronicle. But go off. I was curved. You were not because <laughs> this person who I, against
1: pseudonym Don Tanik, <laughs> they literally you just changed the first they letter of my name.
0: Literally hung up in my face. Oh my! That's <laughs> that's a curve. Queer walk listeners, I think you should be offended by how Nikita is lying in your face or your ears because you can't see us, but. First of all, can I, can I say what actually happened? If it's not the truth, then I don't think you need to say it. You didn't
1: say the truth. I, you hung up on me. Nikita. And she's trying to add this caveat. Excuse me. Dontanique is trying to add this caveat. That they're like, so this is what they said. They're like, Nikita, I'm going to hang up on you. And then they hung up on this, me. Announcing that you're hanging
0: up on someone does not mitigate that, the that is, hang up. Hang up means you you disconnect the call without... The person knowing slap like normally clap, normally clap.
1: people there's like an there's like a, normally some kind of agreement that the call is coming to an end. If I'm still I, talking, I was working and I'm saying, <laughs> you "Hey, weren't still Dantanik, talking. please don't hang First up on all, me." First of all, my
0: name is Montanee. I'm using the pseudonym. <laughs> who are you protecting? The, I, I don't feel protected. Be, who said it was you? <laughs> First of all, I called Nikita because I needed a favor, and so. This is what I mean by I need a new best friend. Let me tell y'all what happened before I ended the call, okay? Nikita went to New York, the city, and did not tell me. She got her happy ass on an Amtrak. What, what is that uh, train called from here to New York City? The um railways, the trailways, whatever. <laughs> she got her ass on that train, booked it, Got to the regional transportation center. How'd you get to the regional transportation center, Nikita? I I don't care. I don't (laughs) want to know. Because you didn't even tell me you needed a ride. Got all the way there. Got on the train. Took the six-hour train ride to New York City. She didn't text, call, tweet, courier pigeon, uh, Nothing me Nothing Not once She didn't update her Google location So I could see that Which she I would never City. do that Because the NSA <laughs> would love to make tracking easy. First of all I have shared my Google location with Nikita Several times I've never shared a Google location with
1: anybody Because I don't I've done it with
0: you Because I don't know how to do that <laughs> Okay So there's that This is supposed to be someone who's my best friend right Who's in a whole nother part of the state And didn't tell me That's one Two, I call her for a favor because I still think that my friend is around the corner. Is she? No. She's in New York City at a burlesque show. A brass burlesque show <laughs> getting, getting brown femme acid titties thrown all around and silver leotards in her face, right? I don't know this. So I'm calling her. I'm like, hey, are you going to be busy between 12 and 2? Uh no why oh well I'm in New York City oh this is how I find out what if I would have told you like I am actually dying between twelve and two and I I needed a favor? oh yeah because that's actually that's that's how that works you don't know you don't know how health works all right and she didn't tell me she was gone so I was like oh well then never mind right because she's not in Syracuse she's not even in Onondaga County. So and I asked, and, and I was like, and "What's it's, happening?" It's not like I could be like, "Oh, you you couldn't get there, you couldn't help." So I was like, "You know what? Never mind. I'll call you back."
1: No, that's not what she said. She's like, was, "All right, fine. I'm hanging up." She, I didn't say I'm she, hanging up, and she's Nikita. I'm hanging no, up. No, no, she hangs up. <laughs> what did you right say before that? In my face. What you
0: said before that? You little annoying. See, people are always like, "Honey, why do you always call Nikita?" What like, did I do? Because she is a. Uh, Freaking annoying. It's so funny because she's older than me, but she acts like anybody's little sibling. What okay. did I do? You were like, why? I was like, it doesn't matter. You're not here. You have to tell me. Stop.
1: You better not <laughs> hang up this phone. <laughs> Montanique, if you hang up this phone, our
0: friendship is over. <laughs> and I was like. And then she's like, I'm hanging up. I'm like, I'm hanging up. I, y'all, it was an emergency. I needed. I was like, I need to get off this phone to try to contact somebody else. Between twelve and two, right? And Nikita is holding me hostage on the phone. If nice. you hang up this phone, ah, no, ah, no. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Nikita, I'm getting off the phone. I have to get off the phone. I need to find someone.
1: What's going on?
0: You are not here. You can't help. What does it matter? Goodbye, Nikita. Don't hang up this phone, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'll talk to you later. Love
1: you, bye She didn't say love you She (laughs) said, Nikita, I'm hanging up And she proceeded to hang up Right in my face
0: Right in the face You hung up in
1: your own face No, I didn't press any (laughs) buttons
0: You did that to yourself My hands. I told you Victim blaming (laughs) So if you all would like to suggest A new co-host for Queer Walk the Podcast Because Nikita is going to be replaced (laughs) I'm
1: not not not
0: going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was your curved chronicle that you don't have one that's not a curved chronicle All right, y'all so if you actually have a curved chronicle if your dating life is more exciting than mine which uh, is non-existent and Nikita's which is so petty that she would have to make me her curved chronicle please submit your curved chronicles to queerwalkpie at gmail.com or if you feeling bold tag us in it and post it in the hashtag queerwoc This has been Money, the snowed-in sapphic
1: snack. And this has been Nikita, your city-slickin' sapphic fantasy. And you just listened to Queer Walk the podcast.